if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Appreciate you joining us. Eight, uh, it is the eighth morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2020. If you thought we were star-studded before with Congressman Jim Jordan and South Dakota Governor Christy Noem, you haven't seen anything yet. Now the biggest star of them all, Peter Kersenow, back with us. On AM 1420, the answer, Peter, is a uh, the longest-serving member right now on the United States Commission on Civil Rights, in addition to being an attorney, a radio host, uh, a best-selling author, and a highly sought-after public speaker. I may have missed something there, but Peter Kersenow, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Well, that was a heck of an introduction. I'm doing well, Bob. Um, you know, it is, I, as you know, we used to have a countdown, and I recognize that uh, something is coming up in the next week or so, but... You know, I'll tell you, some of these announcers and stuff, they're going out of their way to make a big deal of uh, something that is a completely, utterly false narrative, and it needs to be pushed back every single chance we get, because this false narrative is is helping to really destroy certain aspects of this country if we don't fight back hard. Well, I'll ask you about that narrative in a moment, uh, Pete, But and, and I want to talk about race, and I'm going to talk about um, critical race theory, and I want to talk about a letter you wrote to the governor, or excuse me, the mayor of Seattle in a moment. But lest people think that we are one-trick ponies, because a lot of the time when you and I talk, we do talk about race and racial issues in this country. It's extraordinarily important, especially now with all of the racialized violence that is on the streets. But let me start with something that is away from race, and it is strictly and purely political theater. And I'm talking about the allegations being made by the left, the Biden campaign, by way of the Atlantic, um, a news magazine, a liberal news magazine, obviously, that has accused President Trump of not wanting, back in 2018, to visit a cemetery in France because it was filled with losers and suckers. The uh, idea that President Trump had would ha- would disparage in such a horrible way in front of his chief of staff, General John Kelly, is just uh, too much to, to even think about. It's beyond the pale. But that's what they're alleging. Uh, four anonymous sources say that happened. John Bolton was there. He says it did right. not. According to what that article said, uh, the president made uh, disparaging remarks about our soldiers, the people buried at the Anmarn Cemetery. Uh, in connection with the decision for him not to go to the ceremony that was planned that afternoon. And and that's that was simply false. I- 
simply false. We'll cut it there just to get your reaction to what is what is going on here uh, now, less than two months from the election, Peter. Yeah, one of the reasons why I didn't give this much consideration is because I came, I think, to the conclusion that everyone else came to almost immediately. And it's uh, one of the reasons we came to that conclusion is that no one believes the media anymore. Uh, That is, unless you're a Democrat who desperately wants to believe these things. And I think even they don't know that you're just using these stories for propaganda value. But I think the media has so tarnished their reputation when it comes to Donald Trump that almost any allegation they make about him actually, I think, blows up in their face and hurts the Democrats. I think it has actually gotten to that point. It's not going to persuade. They're not going to persuade anybody anymore. Second is going to the essence of this allegation. I think most people have had a number of years now to take the measure of Donald Trump. And they've also taken a measure of the media, as I just indicated, too. And this does not sound like him at all. And I bounced this off of some veterans that I know. And, you know, they just, like, rolled their eyes and were dismissive of it. No one believes this. This is the latest attempt on the media, in coordination with the Democrats, by the way. You probably saw the great reporter, Molly Hemingway. I think she's phenomenal. Um, Who went through an analysis of this and showed that it's pretty clear that this was coordinated with the Democratic camp, with the Joe Biden campaign, because the timing of the release of the article and then the commentary by the Biden campaign and the release of an ad was it made it implausible that this was not coordinated. So this was a hit job. They have tried to shoot, they've, they've cried wolf so many times on things big and small when it comes to this president, whether it be impeachment or or Russia or you, ha- you whatever it may be. People's impressions of Trump are baked in right now. And no matter what the Democrats try to throw at him, I think it doesn't stick anymore. I think it only appeals just, to those individuals who are opposed to Trump anyway. I totally agree. And, and I just look at it to me, you know, sometimes Occam's razor is right. Um, can you imagine for one second that Donald Trump would have said those words within earshot of the people who say that uh, that he said it? And chief among them would be, as I said, General John Kelly, who was his chief of staff at the time. And that no one would have said a word about it from 2018 on, that they all would just keep that quiet even after the president fired John Kelly as his chief of staff, even after he fired James Mattis from DOD. That they would sit on this until 60 days before the election, the re-election in, in 2020, and save it for that. It's, it's not just implausible. It's impossible. Occam's Razor says this is a hit job 60 days before the election, not something that just happened to come up uh, that was actually said two years ago. It, it's just yeah. not. Yep, I, I think so. And I think it, to a large extent, uh, in the next 60 days, we're going to be seeing more of this, probably. But the problem for the Democrats and media, but again, I repeat myself, is that Donald Trump, to a large extent, now is bulletproof. I mean, after you've tried impeachment, there's really nothing else you can do. And virtually everything the media has claimed has turned out to be not just false, but they were complicit. They knowingly promoted false narratives. They were coordinating with Democrats. They were coordinating with the whistleblowers and others to try to take down Trump. Most people with, uh, you know, a couple of brain cells working have been able to realize that. And I think that it's just, I think it really does hurt the Democrats when they try to do this, because 
even those who dislike Trump but are not necessarily you know, rabid Democrats or progressives, I think they have the sense of knowing, do we want to be governed by people who will go to these lengths to achieve power? That disqualifies one from power. It's kind of a, it's a disturbing proposition that in the United States of America, you would have these overt attempts to subvert democracy and the will of the American people. Very, very well said, as always. Peter Kirsten, I was there. I guess, Peter, in the last four minutes of this segment, we have two segments to go. I want to set the table for critical race theory discussion by asking you about your letter to Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin of about a week ago, a little over a week ago. In that letter, you write to question and in some ways condemn a July training that was done in Seattle for city workers called Internalized Racial Superiority for White People. Um, and you talk about it potentially violating Title VII's prohibition against segregation of employees by race. Can you tell us a little bit more about what this, this training was and what you wrote to her? Yeah, it violates two things, Bob. Um, num number one is segregating employees by race, but also prohibition against racial harassment. Okay, And this, I think, qualifies for it, and some of the other trainings throughout the country do. Um, and also, let me get in before I forget that um, just probably no, no fewer than 24 hours ago, President Trump has indicated that he's prepared to defund any educational institutions that use critical race theory in the guise of the 1619 Project. And maybe we can talk about that either today or maybe some other time, but that's a big, big, big deal. In any event, the city of Seattle has a training that a lot of public agencies and public employers embark on, and that is, it's pretty much a Maoist struggle session. Now, I, I say that very conservatively. I'm not using hyperbole. If you read, for example, Darkness at Noon and some of the other famous books, uh, Gulag Archipelago doesn't really apply to it, but the sense of it, the consciousness described and it does. But if you look at what the most oppressive communist regimes in the world used to do to try to purge the populace of wrong think, um, it is that they forced people to make these confessions and forced them to pronounce certain slogans or, or nostrums that were consistent with communist theory. And Essentially, that is what's happening with respect to these critical race uh, programs. Um, I'm not using hyperbole. Um, I, generally speaking, it, what's, what's strange, Bob, you and I have discussed this, is over the last several years, things that ordinarily would sound hyperbole or even hysterical are actually kind of mundane at this point because we can't overstate what the left is up to. They are actually up to these things. So in Seattle... They took um, white employees and brought them into a room, um, you know, there were several of these, where they had these trainers. And by the way, I would urge your listeners to go to the Powerline blog, Powerline, which has a recitation of this. But they would take them into these training rooms where they would purge white employees of their white privilege by instructing them to repeat certain things, like, you know, good communists or good Nazis would. And uh, again, I don't mean to be overstating these things, but they would list certain attributes of alleged attributes of whites that promoted white superiority and by extension then 
suppression of minorities. They indicated that some of these attributes were things that, frankly, are the things that make people successful regardless of race. So not only does it, was it something that was stereotypic with respect to whites, but in an obvious sense, it was stereotypic against blacks and other minorities. It was just extraordinary what they were doing. So it's extraordinary. Well, people want to keep their jobs. But nonetheless, you would think that at least one person would stand up and said, I'm done with this and would have marched right out. By the way, Bob, I have gotten calls from many of your listeners asking me to intervene and serve certain circumstances, and which I have when I could, where they're subjected to the same thing, because this is happening in our school districts, in Ohio, and throughout the country. It's happening in our workplaces, where you have these diversity seminars of various degrees. Some of them are just as strident as Seattle. Some are a little little bit more uh, subtle. But they're bad. I know you're, you're up against the clock, but these things are, if, if anything, they do not alleviate any purported racism. They exacerbate feelings of resentment and and uh, and racism among any normal person who's subjected to these struggle sessions. And and I would advise anybody who's subjected to this to really consider whether or not you want to continue to be subjected to this. Consider whether or not you've got legal options because you do. Well, that is important to know up here, and I want to talk a lot more about this in the next two segments. Peter Kirsten, I was with us, and he will continue after this on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1025, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter Kirsten now continues with us as well. We had people calling off the air asking for a repeat of the website that Peter is talking about, and that is powerlineblog.com, powerline, it's two words, but it's one word for the website, for the URL, powerlineblog.com. And uh, just do a little search for critical race training. And is critical race training illegal? That's what Peter is talking about. Pete, uh, Kirsten, now thanks again for staying with us. A short segment here before we can get into more depth in the next segment. Pete, let's talk a little bit more about critical race theory uh, in a more widespread version than just the training that uh, was done in Seattle that you wrote the letter to Jenny Durkin about. Tucker Carlson did a really extensive piece on this with a guest who has been researching critical race theory for a very long time. I, I, I want you to, and I don't know if you saw much of that, but give people a general description of what critical race theory is and why it is so dangerous um, for people, you know, I mean, let's be honest, for white people, particularly white males, and what it will do to morale and what it will do for uh, to and for workers at any company, particularly if they're government executives or government uh, employees, I should say. Uh, what it will do to them if uh, this is implemented, this type of training is implemented to demonize, literally call white people all demons, um, uh, you know, as, as part of diversification and, and, and tolerance, if you will. Yeah. Uh, when you get to Powerline uh, blog, there are two segments on it, and one of them has embedded with it, within it a video of the Seattle training. And when you read the video, you can't help but be enraged and infuriated. But this is going on throughout the country. Not too many people are talking about it, but hundreds, if not thousands, of corporations are subjecting employees to it. Hundreds, if not thousands, of political subdivisions, whether it be school districts, municipalities, federal government, Sandia Labs, the nuclear weapons facility. There, You'll see in Powerline a description of that. My friends, Hans Bader, 
uh, who's been doing great work on this, uh, described what was going on with the nuclear um, uh, facility there and all other federal uh, facilities. But look at that video, and it will tell you a lot. Number two, what is it doing? The best I can tell you, Bob, is this. Prior to Barack Obama becoming elected president, first black president, and by the way, for all those individuals such as, you know, LeBron James and, uh, um, you know, uh, these basketball players and football players who say that, you know, we, we live in it, they're oppressed and uh, uh, this is a horrible society and they're fearful for their lives. Um, consider what a great place the United States of America must be where it's oppressed become billionaires, presidents, the most admired people around, movie stars, people have the biggest Twitter accounts. If that's what our oppressed are like, you know what? Not too bad. I'm not being facetious in terms of there's racism in this country, but my goodness, it's 2020, and we can have an extended discussion of what this racism in this country is all about. But prior to Barack Obama getting elected, there have been polls. There's always polls. I keep up with these polls, and I even have a file for them. But just before the election, 74% of Americans Is it said circular? race. <laughs> I've got a lot of those, believe me. Sorry. Uh, but 74% of Americans believe that race relations in the country were either good or excellent. 74%. After eight years of Obama, it was at 27%. Consider that. And one of the reasons I would propose for that is because of his effort to do two things. Number one fundamentally transformed the greatest country in the history of the world. And number two is the their administration's constant uh, peeling off the scab of racism and attacking law enforcement authorities, police, and so forth, when they should have been promoting them and not adopting and promoting the false narrative of systemic racism. That false narrative, Bob, hurts Americans in general, but particularly it hurts the black community for the reasons we talked about last week. And it's, I don't want to uh, recapitulate that, but there's a direct line there. So if you believe, as I've said before, that not only do black lives matter, but black success matters, you would throw out critical race theory, the 1619 Project, and burn it and not allow anybody to, to produce this crap anymore. This is so pernicious. Critical race theory, by the way, is something that began in the late 80s with Derek Bell of Harvard. Uh, at least he was one of the principal proponents of it. But, of course, it germinated in the Ivy League. And in essence, I'll give you just the, the essence of it, is that almost everything, every structure and system and institution in this country is permeated by racism, that everything has a racial component to it, that everything turns upon race. In other words, it's insane. It is just fundamentally insane. Normal people don't think like this and they go about their lives. Only something like that could flourish in academia. That's where it flourished. But now right. it has migrated to the broader public. And let me just give you one other timeline here, Bob. As I've told you before, well, for the last well, 30 years, go ahead. Well, no, it's just we're up against this. It's already 1031. I want to give you more time to talk about that timeline, and I want to follow up on uh, your, your what you just began, which is, I think is an outstanding description of critical race theory and its origin. So hold that thought now, Pete. Let's get our quick time out here for news, and then we'll come back and pick that up right there on AM 1420, The Answer. sides to every story. 
There's the mainstream media side. And then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, we continue now at 1036 with Peter Kersenow. Uh We're talking about critical race theory, and we're talking about its implementation, its mandatory training for government employees, for school system employees, and for private company employees as well. And it is essentially an attack on people for being born with a certain color of skin. And that that color is white. And that attack is for everybody, quite literally everybody who is white, according to critical race theory, plays a role in and supports and upholds white supremacy, white superiority beliefs, and systemic racism. Christopher Rufo is a City Journal contributing editor. He was on with Tucker Carlson last week. Peter and I discussed this moments ago. Short clip, Peter, that I would like you to respond to. And this is really the bottom line. Uh, There are some great people in D.C., such as Senator Josh Hawley in Missouri, that are starting to push back. But conservatives need to wake up that this is an existential threat to the United States. And the bureaucracy, even under the Trump administration, is now being weaponized against core traditional American values. And I'd like to make it explicit. Uh, The president of the White House, it's within their authority and power to immediately issue an executive order abolishing critical race theory trainings from the federal government. And I call on the president uh, to immediately issue this executive order and and stamp out this destructive, divisive, pseudoscientific ideology at its root. Uh, And I think that it's something that he's denounced, uh, this kind of Black Lives Matter and neo-Marxist rhetoric in places like Portland and Seattle. All right, I'll stop it there, Peter Kirstenau, so that I can get your response to that. And then please feel free to continue into the origin that you were discussing of critical race theory. Yeah, uh, everything that you're seeing on the streets today is a direct function of critical race theory and the later 1619 project, which is being infused throughout 5,000 different school districts. This thing is, uh, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, Bob, months ago, but critical race theory slash 1619 project, the Soviet Union 40 years ago would have paid Billions in one of their covert operations with the KGB to try to get this into the corporations and schools of the United States of America. That's not an exaggeration. They tried to do something similar to that, and now we are doing it voluntarily. This is so destructive, so pernicious, it can't be overstated. And that's why Christopher Rufo is alarmed by this. Clearly, you know, I, I'm not taking any credit for it, but I have been in, in contact with the administration on this for, for quite some time and with the Department of Justice uh, Civil Rights Division on this. This is something of extreme importance that needs to be done. I think only a President Trump would have taken action on this. I can't imagine any other Republican office holder, I mean, president doing this. You mentioned Josh Hawley, of course, Tom Cotton. There are others who've been on top of this, but only a Trump would have done this. And I'm not promoting President Trump here. I'm simply saying that it takes somebody like him to do precisely what what he did. Sorry about that. This is is not just... you know, some kind of scholarly endeavor that, you know, we kind of roll our eyes, you know, it's kind of like the Howard Zinn version of history that we see permeating the public school system. This is something that is more poisonous than anything that's ever been introduced. This is not an exaggeration. It is not hyperbole. Something more 
pernicious than has ever been introduced into any school curriculum in the United States of America. It seeks to delegitimize the United States of America. The 1619 Project, for example, is specific in saying that the United States of America didn't begin in 1776. It actually began in 1619, the date of which slaves were first brought to the United States of America, and that the 1776 revolution for independence was actually a revolution to preserve slavery. Now, a lot of heavyweight historians, many of whom are men and women of the left, have weighed in and said that is just completely false and wrong. It is absolutely ahistorical. And Hannah Nicole Jones, who is the person who is organized or organized the 1619 Project for the New York Times, which is now being sent around to five different, 5,000 different school districts, finally tweeted and admitted after so much criticism that, hey, this was never meant to be history. It was only meant to be a narrative. Think about that. And yet what it's being sold at is as is history of the United States. And the reason is delegitimize the United States so that you can then upset or overturn the foundational principles of the United States. And we are seeing that happening as we speak. Think about the things that we've witnessed over the last few years. The foundational aspects of Western civilization and our rule of law. Something as simple as, remember the Kavanaugh hearing, where no longer did we have an adherence to fundamental notions of due process. You had a star chamber where people simply accused someone without any evidence whatsoever of something horrible, and then made him defend himself. I mean, it's almost like the Salem witch, witch trials. Um, these notions, these, and Joe Biden himself was talking about it during, during that period of time where he was criticizing, quote-unquote, English law. Well, English law undergirds the Declaration, the Constitution. If you look at, yeah, there's not every aspect of it, but are, are the legal principles to which we adhere, the fundamental legal principles, had their germination in English law. Wit what we are witnessing now is the, I think, most muscular attempt on the part of the left to completely overturn everything about the United States of America and what the communists did. I mean, this almost sounds conspiratorial. I hate to say this, but what back in the, the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, what the, the Soviet Union, what the communists tried to do was use race as a wedge to introduce some of these things. We understood that, what they understood is the United States of America is essentially a good country and would do whatever it could to conform itself to being a good country, especially with the original stain of slavery and racism. So they understood that by using race as the wedge, they could introduce some of these concepts with little or no objection. And then they got bolder and bolder and bolder. And now what we've seen on the streets is something that began a long time ago, but began in earnest in the late 1980s. Give you a short timeline. As you know, in the late 1980s uh, and to the present, I've been engaged in presentations and lots of debates on college campuses and law schools. And I noticed a distinct change in the attitude of not just the faculty, the faculty were always on the left, but the students who were always very receptive to the kind of apostasy that I was introducing in terms of, of conservative principles. And in fact, they, they were very receptive to it. Just sometimes in one debate, you could flip a class. 
But then right around 2012, 2013, I noticed a difference in the attitude of the students. It was so profound that I emailed a lot of people your listeners will recognize, the Heather McDonald's of the world and, and others like us, who've gone to college campuses, gone into the lion's den and tried to instruct students on the facts as opposed to propaganda. And they all said the same thing. They noticed a change, too, right around that time frame. It, it took that long to kind of flip. But in addition, the other thing that many academic institutions did is they stopped even having debates. I used to have debates on a regular basis throughout the country. You know, name a law school, I've probably been there. Name a college, I've probably been there. Same with, and I'll just use Heather as, as a, uh, uh, an example, because she's well-known, I think, among your listeners. But Heather said the same thing. She said, after a while, they stopped inviting us to debates. They didn't want to debate anymore. Right. They didn't want our apostasy being introduced to those impressionable young minds. They wanted to have sole control of the narrative. It was really extraordinary. Um, now, I, I will tell you that there was one school I went to three different times. They assured me I would have a debate partner. The first two times I show up, uh, the first two times I didn't go, actually. Uh, they called me and said the person had backed out. Third time I actually drove there. The, the school was four and a half hours away, and I have a rule that says you don't get on a plane if you can drive in four hours because it doesn't make sense logistically. So I drive there, and I show up being assured that there's going to be a debate partner there, and there's nobody there. They don't, don't debate anymore. They don't want to give you even the form, but more importantly is, I'm not the greatest debater in the world, Bob, but... Most of us conservatives do not lose, and it's not because we're, we're just skilled orders or anything. It's because the left's um, principles and, and arguments do not withstand even the mildest scrutiny. So they don't want to expose the 1619 Project and critical race theory to bright lights. Many of your listeners know this is going on. Many of them have been subjected to some version of this at their place of employment. They all sit there dutifully because they want to keep their jobs. But look at that video on Powerline and understand this. I'll just give you um, one example of such a session. You sit there and you see it on the video where the instructor says, all whites are racist. Says that explicitly several times. All whites are racist. And white employees, and, black, and they some, very often they segregate employees by race. And they've got to sit there and they write things down, making a list, such as, um, uh, you know, I am privileged and I am racist, and these confessionals. And then they list all the attributes, for example, of being white, many of which they don't understand actually are attributes of success. And if you if they are encouraging blacks or Hispanics or anyone else to to avoid these these attributes, they are consigning them in the most racist terms to failure. It says, for example, they list items that they say are elements of white privilege, rugged individualism, hard work, striving towards success, a can do attitude. Well, those are things that parents teach kids regardless of color. But if they are designated as elements of white supremacy, which should be purged, then what we are doing is emphasizing the attributes that will necessarily result in failure. This is so bad, it's, it's extraordinary. It's, it's extraordinary that adults sit through this without challenge. Now, thankfully, some of these employees who've been subjected to this now are speaking up and saying, we can't take this anymore. And thank goodness that 
There are people, for example, on the House School Board who have raised their hands and said, wait a minute, we have to stop this. We have a President of the United States who's weighed in on this thing. It is one of the many battles that we must fight if we want to preserve the United States of America that we know and love. Pete, the president has done more than weigh in on it. The president, at least as far as the 1619 part of this with the schools, he has actually said he will defund uh, these schools. Now, I don't know if you know if he can do this or not, but he tweeted in response to somebody talking about California's implementation of the 1619 project. um, The president said, uh, Department of Education is looking at this. If so, they will be they will not be funded. Now, the president promised to defund sanctuary cities that, that kept those policies in place. But it was determined by a court. You know how this goes all the time. He doesn't have the authority to do that. The funding carried on. Can the president, through the Department of Education and their investigations into this teaching of fake news history, if you will, fake history, um, can the president defund? And will that be enough to, to you know, because these schools, by the way, everything you just said is a thousand percent true as far as they don't want to debate. They also don't want anybody to know what they are teaching these kids. We're right. learning this because of the virtual learning because of COVID that's going on. And you have teachers in schools making parents sign waivers saying or or Thomas is saying they won't watch. They won't spy on what their kids are learning. So obviously they have a lot to hide there. Yeah. Uh, the, the quick answer to your question is I don't know, but let me okay. give you some, some data points. Number one is the Department of Education has got the ability to look at a lot of things with respect to funding. But as we've seen, and you mentioned sanctuary cities, uh, there's the Administrative Procedure Act. There are, there are certain constraints on the ability of the executive branch to unilaterally make changes. And you know that it's going to be the subject of multiple lawsuits because that's the environment we're in right now. Having said that, I do think, broadly speaking, he probably does have the authority, if he finds something objectionable, to you know implement certain guidelines that say these kinds of things will not be funded. It is our money, after all, and we shouldn't be forced to fund this kind of bilge. And that's exactly what it is. It's Something, I, I, again, it's um, something that I would hope all of your lis- listeners take into, uh, it, it should be one of their number one priorities. That's how important it is. <clears throat> because we will lose the country if we permit young people to continue to learn. This has already been uh, in, in the bloodstream for a while now, but it's now gone to a much higher level. Well, just yeah. to let people know how much it has been in the bloodstream already, that video that you're talking about that was included in the Powerline blog, that video is two years old. That yeah. video, that video happened. That that is video of a training that was happening back in 2018, two years before George Floyd changed the conversation with what happened in Minneapolis. This white people are evil. She she called them demons. She called them, as you said, all white people are racist. You are demons by nature, et cetera, et cetera. This was happening in government trainings two years ago. And obviously, you talked about it back from the 80s. It has been building for a very, very long time. Uh, Pete, we, we'll have to pick this up another day because we are out of time, but very extraordinarily important information. Thank you for your letter to the Seattle mayor. Thanks for shining a light on this, and we will keep it up. Thank you so much, Pete. Thanks, Bob. All right, that's Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1051. We'll get our final time out and come back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1054, final segment for this Tuesday edition of The Authority. And it's been a uh, 
Wow. It's been a very informative one. Jim Jordan back in the 9 o'clock hour. Also talked to South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem in the 9 o'clock hour. Peter Kersenow for the last 40 minutes or so. And if you missed any or all of it, you can catch it at whkradio.com. Whkradio.com. Make sure you log on and bookmark that page uh, and go to the podcast link. You just look at the drop-down menu, look at podcasts, look for a local podcast, find the Bob France Authority with this date, and uh, you can catch up on any of those interviews that you may have missed. Brian in Cleveland, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Brian. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to uh, touch base a little bit about what uh, was going on with you know Trump disrespecting the military and whatnot. I was listening to a podcast over the weekend of Dan Bongino, and he said that the reason that that didn't take place was because it was supposed to be an airlifted uh, uh, going to the cemetery, and with the weather and the uh, low visibility, it just made it impossible with that limited amount of time to put a motorcade route available to escort the president. You know what I'm saying? That uh, Yeah, that is exactly correct. It was indeed the weather that made it impossible for them to get the right uh, transport to there. And the president, according to people who actually are on the record and not hiding it behind anonymity, the president was very upset by that. The president wanted to go. Uh, and uh, the idea that they would paint this as he didn't want... Did you hear the actual... Uh, Brian, did you hear the actual allegations of the reasons why he did not want to go? To tell you the truth, With Bob, I was completely unplugged all weekend. That's okay. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now. They alleged that he didn't want to go. The, the, the weather aspect of this had nothing to do with transportation. He, they, they said he did not want to go in the rain and in the bad weather there because it would mess up his hair. He didn't want his busted oh hair. Oh, my God. On I'm not kidding you. This is how nuts these people are. This is this is just the state of journalism today, Brian. But what you the story you told that Bongino's told told is the exact one that I've seen and heard corroborated time and again. Uh, this is just nothing more than a you know quote unquote October surprise, you know. And it's probably the first of several to come between now and actual October and Election Day, where they're going to come up with this thing to embarrass the president. That thing, they'll all be fake news. But this is all they've got to go on. Uh, Brian, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. Uh, Ron in Medina, you are next. Hi, Ron, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh, Hello, Ron. Listen, yeah. uh, as far as the, you know, the troops, you know, visiting the cemetery in France, let, let I got a different take on this. Number one, we know that Trump is patriotic. We also know that Patriot's Day is on Friday. We also know that he's been told that we can't guarantee your safety in New York. Um, let's face it, they keep throwing stuff out there, and then, then Trump steps into something, and it's like, oh, well, we warned him too bad. Say that last part again? I think that it might be a, a, a threat against the president. He's already been told, hey, you know what, we can guarantee your safety in New York. We also know Patriot's Day is coming up. On Friday, and what better way to show you know your your support to first you know to first responders than being there at Ground Zero on Patriots Day? Okay, um, so I, I, I think yeah, I, I don't know that I'm going to go that far, uh, Ron. I, I don't think that there is a direct threat, and I thank you for the phone call. Uh, to the point that you're making, I don't think there's going to be a direct threat. I don't think that's what they were saying about 
uh, about uh, President Trump. When you're talking about what Cuomo said about Donald Trump will need an army just to walk down the street in New York, I don't think they mean that somebody's going to try to harm the president there, and that's going to keep him away from the 9-11 commemoration. I don't think that's what that means at all. I think he was just trying to say, politically speaking, Donald Trump has no friends in New York. He's not going to win any votes in New York, etc. I don't think an implicit threat has been made on the president. I just think that they are trying to threaten his reputation. And that's really all I can say about it right now, uh, because we're done. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Thanks to Jim Jordan, Governor Christy Nome, and to Peter Kersenow. Thanks to uh, Derek and to Marcy for running the show. And thanks to you for listening and being a part of it. Join us tomorrow as we come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Mike Gallagher is next. Stay right here. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.